I am an uncommon church builder. I am leading second. Hey everyone, I'm Brandon Stewart and welcome back to the Leading Second podcast where we're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders that our pastors would absolutely kill to have on the team. Well, welcome to our final episode of season one here at the Leading Second podcast. This has been an, an incredible ride for us this uh, year, at kicking off kind of a brand new experiment in our world with Leading Second, and just so glad you found the space. I pray it's added value into your world um, every Thursday for the past several months. And tonight, what we thought we would do is um, record a special live episode to kind of uh, finalize season one of the podcast. So you can't see it yet, but you're about to hear, I have a whole bunch of people uh, joining me tonight um, on a call, and we are going to have some fun doing a live question and answer session for a leading second. So I'm joined tonight by a whole panel, first of all, of people that have been in our coaching groups over the past uh, 12 months or so. And so you're going to hear people asking questions tonight who are from our uh, coaching groups. And uh, I'm joined tonight then by several guests who have been on previous episodes of the podcast uh, who are going to join me and help answer some of these questions. And we're just going to have some open discussion and see where this goes. So let me introduce some of our guests. Uh, first of all, uh, I am joined tonight by Joshua Bingle from uh, Genesis Church in Spokane, Washington. Josh, say hello to everybody tonight. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. It's going to be hey, fun. Nice. It's going to be fun. Wild West, baby. Absolutely. I'm so glad you're back, man. And uh, glad to have you here. Also joined tonight by Nicole Smithy, uh, Liberty Church in New York, New York. Say what's up to everybody, Nicole. Hey, it's great to be here. I'm excited to be a part of the conversation tonight. Welcome back. Welcome back. As well, uh, Anna Morgan from City Church Chicago, one of our earliest, I think one of our first episodes. So you are the Alpha and the Omega, I guess. <laughs> Always good to be here with everybody. And you're a longtime friend of ours. We love you guys so much. Uh, love you and John. Um, I also want to give a shout out to some of our coaches for Leading Second. Uh, we have uh, Keith Knoll on here tonight uh, from Renew Life Church in Midland, Texas, oil country. Say what's up to everybody. Keith. Yo, yo, what's up from Texas? Yeah, baby. <laughs> we love you guys. Girly Gordy from The Movement, Orange County. Hey, hey. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're on. And finally, I saved the best accent for last, John Hatto from Hillsong, Toronto. How you doing, guys? Thanks for having us tonight, Brandon. This is going to be fun. What's up, man? We love you guys. Love your church. And um, I think I think I got everybody here. So um, we are going to do this kind of Wild West style. We're going to take uh, questions um, from our group of people, our panel that have been in coaching groups. And I want to go first of all tonight to Josiah and uh, hear Josiah's question tonight. So fire away, our good friend from Ohio. Thank you, Brandon. Um, so this had a question in regards to in, in church ministry, a lot of times there's transition. Um, we move from one seat to the other. That's just kind of the the life and breath of what ministry is a lot of times. 
But my question is, when you move from one seat of the bus to the other, what is some of the best ways that you can champion somebody or the people that take your place and elevate their voice? I love this question. I thought this was unique. So how, how can you champion the person replacing you? I've actually been in the position of replacing someone and not feeling championed. And so I thought that was just a really excellent team-oriented question, Josiah. Thanks for that. Um, I'd love to open it up. Does anybody have any answers to that tonight? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me is a really simple thing. Uh, speak well of that person. Like, Make sure that your language in all settings is incredibly positive about that person and then give them some wins. So help them get a win, whatever that looks like, and let them take full credit for it. And if you know you played a part in that, then that's all the better. But set them up for success in the way you speak to them and how you help them get an initial win. Let them take the credit for that. I love that, Nicole. I love that. Uh, someone else, anyone else have a thought on that tonight, one of our guests? I've facilitated a few uh, transitions between others on in our team. I think one of the things that has helped is for people to understand that the people who are following the next person or the person before may not follow the person after and they're going to bring new people and relationships I think are a huge part of the dynamics around team. So I think it's, I think just making everyone as comfortable as possible with the transition is probably not just going to be that person, but there's going to be transition internally and just we're all in it together. We all love each other. We're all, we're all doing this as one giant team and, and it's okay for there to be shifts along the way. Absolutely. Well said. Hey, Jesse, I want to come to you. Jesse's from Houston, Texas. Say what's up to everybody. I think you had a question tonight. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this opportunity. So I really just love the voice and the DNA of leading second. I think it's a, a voice that's needed in this generation. So my question is, on a practical level, uh, what's the best way that we can implement and kind of create this culture in our church and in our, in our teams that, uh, that lead? Best way we can create a leading second culture in our churches. I thought this was a good question. Um, I'm actually going to offer my thoughts here for a second. Um, I think the best way to to bring a culture into any environment is you you have to live it. In, in fact, I don't know another place to start. It has to be in you. You know, you have to. In other words, um, I don't think people will ever excel in an area beyond how you're excelling as the leader. And so, if we want to lead a culture, for example, that honors authority. I think we need to be people that that model that and live that and whisper that into other people's ear. In other words, I've heard it said that people will not do as much what you say, they'll do more of who you are. You know, they'll be more of who you are. They'll they'll listen to what you say, but they'll become who you are. Would maybe be a better way to say that. And so you you really will have a hard time passing on something that you don't first embody yourself. I'm not sure if anyone else has any other thoughts, but I, I think this is a really important question because I think so many of us are here and resonate with this DNA and we we want our teams to be better, but obviously we can't be lone rangers. We want to make this a contagious culture in the life of our churches. So great question, Jesse. Um, anyone else have any thoughts on that tonight? Yeah, I'll jump in here. Um, I think it, it really just all starts with honor. It starts and ends with honor. It's 
it's honoring up, it's honoring sideways, it's honoring down, you know, it's 360 degree honor. And, um, you know, that's, that's what I, I hear in leading second. That's what I see in leading second is that, you know, we're, we're championing the kingdom of God, but we're also championing our leaders that are, that are ahead of us and moving forward. And, um, and it's just great to, to, I guess, you know, it's, it's hard for a lead pastor to ask everyone on their team to honor them. It's, it's hard for them to do it, but it's a lot easier for the second chair leader to honor and, and sort of uh, be that example to other leaders in the organization. So I would definitely uh, side on, on honor when it comes to that leading second culture. Well said. And speaking of honor, uh, I want to go to Tyler's question. Tyler is uh, from Parkersburg, West Virginia. Uh, say what's up to everybody, Tyler. You had a great, great question on um, honoring authority. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm really honored to be here. Brandon, great to see you again. Had a great time and with the coaching, and especially with you, Keith. Just appreciate you guys and your ministry so much. Um, so my question was, um, how do you lead strong and with love in a culture that is taught to question authority? I love that. How do you lead strong in a culture that is taught to question authority? I think the reason I wanted to lean into this, and then I'll let some of you guys go, is... I actually feel like that is our world right now. Our world has been taught and is being told every day to question authority. Uh, authority is viewed as something to stand up to and overthrow and buck right now. No one likes the S word submission, you know, right now. No, no one, no one's about that. So, you know, you might be speaking of, of a local church setting and I do understand that, but I actually think this is just the mantra of our world right now is I think our world is questioning authority. So I'd love to set some some of our coaches and panelists loose. What would you say about leading a culture of honoring authority when we're being taught to question authority? Uh, you know, I that's a great question. It's a big one. Um, but there is a couple of things that really stand out to me about that one. I think part of the reason that we live in a culture where there's such a questioning of authority is because um, so much trust has been eroded in all directions. So I think one of the best things you can do in whatever environment that you're leading in is to be trustworthy and to build a culture of trust. Trust is one of those things that takes a lot of time to build, but then you earn the right in the way that you care for people and the way that you speak to people and not about people, the way that you honor, like the, you know, I love that thought of honor, 360 degrees honor. Over time, you build a culture where then you can talk about those verses. You can have words like submit and obedience and honor and authority all in the culture because there's such a foundation of trust. And I think most teams go sideways and miss the plot, most churches, most organizations, because somewhere along the way, there wasn't enough trust to go where you needed to go. Well said. Let me ask this follow-up question. How do we how do we build trust with our lead pastors? I mean, I think if we're listening to this today, I think almost all of us are probably in support roles. Uh, so what does building trust look like with our pastors or the person that we report to uh, directly? Does anyone have a thought on that? Yeah. Um, for me, I've found that asking a lot of questions and sometimes waiting and asking follow-up questions of, okay, now why did you do that? Okay, why did you make that decision? Not in front of everybody, um, but later on, be like, I want to learn, not with, because I want to give you my opinion about what I think you should have done there, but really just because I want to learn and let it be. 
Um, and then later when I've earned that trust that they know that I care more about what they think than what I think, then I can offer some thoughts about, now why would this uh, maybe not be the right way to go? I think that has built more trust, at least for me and in my experience, than anything else. Well said. I want to go to Josh Smith for a second. And Josh, you had a question that I think we get a lot at Leading Second. And I just, I will, I want to hear um, any answers from our panel that we can tonight on this one. You had a question about, about leading people who are older. Sure. It's pretty much that. How do you lead people who are more experienced in your area than you and older than you? Like I'm currently training for a spot where people have been there longer than I've been alive. So that's kind of what I'm stepping into. <laughs> training, training for a spot that's been there longer than you've been alive. I love it. I love it. And probably a lot of leaders in their young 20s um, probably could feel that way. Um, man, Anna, um, I love, do you have any thoughts on this? I see you kind of nodding your head there. Yeah, I definitely had to do that. <laughs> I was in my young 20s. I took over a worship ministry of like men who were twice my age, basically. And I think for me, in my 20s, being consistent with things like communication and showing up when I said I was going to show up, those are the things that actually won me trust with people who were older because they loved my enthusiasm. They loved my vision. They loved what I wanted to do. And it was mostly about just proving that I was mature enough for them to be in it. And uh, just took time, like any any trust building takes time. I think time is something that young leaders don't often like to afford to stuff like this, but it's so it's so necessary, right? I mean, we don't, what you just said is like, I, I think a cuss word to young leaders, like you mean just give it time, but but don't you think that that's probably part of the ingredient here too? It's just building rapport. Absolutely. And they know you and they know you're reliable and they, they know you're around. Then they'll, yeah, it builds trust. It builds respect. I'd love to throw Josh's question to um, Josh Bingle for a second, because Josh, you planted your church when you were all of 26 years old. Um, I'm sorry, 25 years old. Come on. Sorry. I'll give you that, that extra year there too. So I, you know, as a lead pastor, you, I know you dealt with this. Um, your church is great and thriving today, but talk to us about some of those early years and what that felt like for you. Yeah, I would say one of the mistakes that I made is trying to do everything I could to prove myself to people, prove how smart I was, prove how talented I was. And um, I... I had to get back to what Paul encourages Timothy to do. Um, Timothy as a young pastor at the, the, the church at Ephesus in a culture that valued age, they would have undervalued Timothy. And Paul had to remind Timothy uh, about leading older people. He said, never harshly rebuke an older man, but appeal to them as you would to a father. And I had to learn the art of, of appealing to people who were older than me picking my spots, like realizing I can't come into a room and be like to a 55 year old guy and be like, bro, you need to lock it up. Cause he's like, I got watches older than you, dude. Like, who do you think you are in, in the art of humility and picking your spots, um, leaning into the wisdom that they bring, because there is, if you're not careful, you're going to miss out on a lot of untapped wisdom that would serve you well 
because in, in, in youth, you're trying to establish legitimacy with them. And the error, like, like we've been talking about here is to, is to just try and go so fast and just, just give it time, be humble, appeal in your rebuke and in your correction, draw, you know, draw a picture for them. Um, and yeah, I think time, time is just great. And, and that directive to never harshly rebuke an older man doesn't change just because your job description did. Uh, doesn't change just because your title changed. It's the same. Absolutely. Well said. I want to go to Blake now for a second. Blake had a great question uh, for us. So why don't you say uh, what's up, everybody, Blake? What's up, guys? Um, in the past, we've talked about second chair leaders should sound and should speak um, and be heard as just like their pastors would using the same tone and whatnot. So what are some practical ways to be an echo and not a voice as a second chair leader? Yeah, I thought this was really great. I wanted to lean into this for a second because it's a big pillar of leading second that we extend our pastors in any room that we're in, that they're not, that that we extend their influence. And um, if I'm getting your question right, I think you're, you, you say be an echo, not a voice. I think you're referring to the idea of sounding more like them rather than sounding, you know, um, different and like us, which I think is a real challenge for young leaders. Young leaders inherently want uniqueness, and yet we're actually calling young leaders to sound like their pastors, be an echo, like you said. So I loved the way you you phrased that. Um, I'm going to open that up to some of our panel. Um, you guys have thoughts on that tonight? Yeah, I want to jump in here because um, I've been given the opportunity as a young leader to be like the the one who would the second man on Sunday to get up on stage and preach. And you asked for practical ways. I think one of the, the practical things that I've done is I've tried to just do some things that my pastor does uh, as he speaks, even simple things like he always greets the first time guests when he gets up there. And so I just, I just echo and do the exact same thing. I welcome all of our first time guests or, you know, my uh, older pastor would have a blessing at the top. And I would just, I would say that same blessing over the people as we would get going just so they hear the same language coming, coming out of my mouth. And then also I would just add, I think one of the, probably a deeper way, and it may not be as practical, but just one of the best ways to be an echo and not a voice is just to be in sync and have the same heart as your pastor. I think when you can tell, you can, you subconsciously pick up when um, there's a team atmosphere and when there's the person on stage or the person speaking is just has the same heart, the same vision and pulling in the same direction. People just see it. It may not, you may, you, you can still have your voice be unique, but have the, your, the heart of your pastor, the heart of the house. And um, I think it comes across when, when you open your mouth. That, that's a really interesting question, the way it's posed as well. Um, and I liked what we just heard at the end of it. Like I, in my experience, I've never felt like I had to give up my identity or become a clone to somebody else. But what I did find that I had to do was be responsible with the vision and the heart of my pastors. And I think that comes through two things. I think you, it's, it's a humility, <laughs> like be humble and prefer. I think that's just a really basic thing, but sometimes we, it's just, we don't have to learn new things. We just have to keep applying the same thing, you know, and it's, it's be humble, prefer them. 
and be a learner, like be observing, like watch the language that they use, which was a, you know, in a different way. We just heard that from, from Keith, but like, listen, how did they present things? How did they lead a meeting? How did they articulate the language matters to our pastors and it should because language actually creates a culture with our words. So let's use the same language that's culture building that they do. And those little things, when you're a student of your pastor, then when you're entrusted to speak, you can be you, but you also are able to be somebody who's trusted to speak on their behalf. Well said, well said, which leads me to a question I want to take uh, for just a minute from Cameo. Uh, she's from Freedom House Church in Charlotte. Say what's up to everybody, Cameo. Hey, how's it going? Hey, I loved your question on leading from a satellite campus, but why don't you fire away on your question, Cameo? Yeah, so I'm leading second, um, like I said, or like you said, at a satellite campus rather than main and central. And so I was just wondering if you can give tips on how to successfully navigate that position. You know, it's a little bit different. You're leading teams and you're a little bit further removed from central support and culture. So what are some, some ways that you can navigate that and be successful? I, I just love this question because I felt like it was in a similar vein to where we were just at with leading on behalf of your pastor. Cause you're now talking about leading with actual distance away. And for perspective, Nicole's church, Liberty church has, has several campuses just in the New York, you know, city area, as well as other places in the country and internationally. So Nicole, we'll start with you, but I'd love if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, we have some similarities. We're not um, satellite campuses, but we do have multiple locations under our lead pastors. So um, I think the biggest thing is is to be really clear on expectations. Like you have to know them very clearly because each church has a different set of expectations and each leader expects you to fully lead in some, some place. Like you run with this and there's other things it's like, no, you don't run with this. You connect with me on this and I'll give you the game plan for these things. And that just varies from church environment to church environment. And I think it's trickiest when there's not clear expectations. So either people don't actually fulfill the responsibility that a pastor has because they didn't know how much was entrusted to them. They didn't know how much they could run with or the opposite is true. They overstepped their bounds and now they're not being to the question earlier, a really great echo. They're being a, a completely different voice from what the pastor was wanting to create. So you have to have some really, really specific questions. I think earlier Gurley said, asking a lot of questions is great. You have to ask a lot of questions at the front end and then along the way. So you stay true to the expectations that your pastor has. And then you actually really get to run in your lane with what has been entrusted to you. I think that's the biggest thing. I'll just leave it at that. John, you're, um, you're leading it at Hillsong in Toronto. And even in Toronto, you have multiple campuses. Um, any thoughts on that question? Yeah, I think, uh, what Nicole was saying there is actually crucial. Uh, it's really important to, to lean in, to make sure that you're pressing into the vision, obviously as Toronto, uh, yeah, as, as Pastor Bannon said, you know, we've got, got Toronto downtown, we've got a, a second location in Toronto North. And, uh, even though they're only 45 minutes apart, we're actually setting, you know, uh, a, a fresh culture for a lot of people that are, are joining our church. Um, but even in Toronto, we are leaning into a global church. Uh, so obviously all of the vision globally for us is set by Pastor Brian and Bobby right there in Sydney. Um, and, and you see how well uh, globally Hillsong executes vision and, and really leaning in. But it's, it's really the, the culture that drives that. And, and the setting that same expectation and, and just really pressing into that same expectation is huge. 
Um, I think the other side of it, and something that I, I try and coach our leaders around is, you know, that there is definitely a point where if you're a part of a releasing culture where your leaders are actually giving you responsibility and giving you opportunity to lead, um, there is going to come a time where you have to make a decision that you're not always going to be able to uh, ask lots of questions. Um, and part of the, I guess, the, the outworking of that is that, you're, that you're, you may likely get it wrong at some point. And, and so I think a big part of that and a big part of, of growing as a leader is learning to own the decision that you've made and not throw anybody else under the bus when the feedback comes back to you that it maybe wasn't the best decision to make. Um, I know that for me personally, I've made decisions. It wasn't the greatest, uh, but the feedback's coming and whether it's good or bad, right? I need to learn to receive it, not to get defensive, but say, okay, I'm going to do better next time. The, The feedback is coming. I think let's just all remember too, we're all leading in and we're all going to have moments where we could get offended in those moments when the feedback comes or when the correction comes. I just think one of the greatest gifts we give our pastors, and this is another topic altogether, but if you know that feedback is coming and if you know that there are going to be times your leader has to speak things to you in order to keep you in alignment, uh, I think the biggest, the greatest gift we give them is just being unoffendable and saying, bring it on. I want to hear everything you have to say because I want to be the best that I can be. And, um, Sometimes our leaders are going to have to even say it quick or they're going to have to say it um, boldly, but they're just trying to keep all of us heading in the same direction, saying the same thing, and we have to know their heart on that. So um, I want to go to uh, Travis, Travis Marshall from Dallas, Texas. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. Um, man, first of all, I just want to say thank you. Um, my team loves your podcast, and I love the feedback that I get from them every time you post one. It's really a blessing to us. So my question was real quick to the panel and to yourself that um, how do we how do we keep maybe how do we keep teams from going toxic? What are some ways we can identify that early on, and what are some ways that we can steer them always towards health? Keep that always at the forefront. Avoiding toxicity, steering them toward health. Uh, I loved this one. I love this one. Um, any of our panel have any thoughts on that? Uh, my senior pastor always says um, that you if you have a culture that you've either created or allowed. Um, so I would say the first step when you think there's some toxic behaviors in your team is to get some feedback from them about your leadership, which is a dangerous thing to do. Um, Got to put on your big boy pants for that conversation Uh, and try to figure out what about you might've created some of the toxicity in that culture. And then you need to take a hard look at maybe some of the behaviors you haven't addressed. Um, Brandon has said before that anytime someone hits their head against your culture, that requires a conversation. So I've learned that most of the time that these things have gone on, it's because I haven't had the conversation I should have had four situations ago. (laughs) So those would be the things if you already have it in place. I'm sure someone has some great thoughts about how to prevent it in the future. That's really good. I Would you say either allowed it or created it? It was really, really well said. I love that. I love that. Someone else have a thought on? If I can kind of jump in on that. Um, I think one of the ways that we um, at Elevate People in Houston, Houston, Texas, is we try to prevent it the best way we can is by implementing 
we call our dream team crew. So we created um, about six crew core values that we wrapped around our main values of the church. So these are the values that we've implemented in the crew and every uh, leader that leads a crew, their responsibility is to keep it in front of them and also to ask them the tough questions that that gives them an opportunity to have a heart check with individually, take them out for coffee or even on Sunday morning, where now they're not just serving, um, they're actually in their lives and they're asking these tough questions like, hey, how are you doing? How's family? And really just keep pointing everybody to the vision and, and any kind of uh, language that is outside of the kind of the uh, uh, the road that we're going in is quickly shot down and not entertained. So we protect the culture that way. Well said, protect the culture. And uh, I want to go to Josh Mingle for a second. Josh, you sit in a lead pastor role, which I always love hearing from lead pastors. Talk to me for a second about the value of a second chair leader who's willing to stand up and protect the culture of the house. I mean, what what does that mean to you as, as a pastor when a leader on your team is willing to stand up against toxic culture and lead culture well? Yeah, it's, it's irreplaceable. Um, there are so many rooms that I cannot be in, should not be in, um, that, that having second chair leaders that, that understand that and are willing to fight for health in the family is, is of utmost importance. And to, to the preventative question, um, I'm fully a believer um, that distance is the breeding ground of criticism. And the more removed you are from something or someone, it is far easier to be critical and toxic. And so it's been my experience that it's proximity that kills that, the toxicity. And it's kind of, it's, it's being close and being in a relationship. This is a family scripture uses family language about a church. And I think our culture could use a heavy dose of proximity. If we would just get across the table from people who are different than us, it would kill a lot of toxicity. Um, and, and so you being in proximity to your leader in, as much as possible is going to prevent a lot of that toxicity because you're going to carry the heart. You're going to be able to ask questions. You're going to understand why they made the decision that they made. And then you're going to be able to stand in a room and fight for the family and fight to protect the health of the heart, um, which in our context as a, as a lead pastor, that is one of the most beautiful gifts you can give to your pastor is to fight for the health of the family um, but it requires proximity. It really does. I love that. And um, that's going to lead to a question that we saw come in from uh, Mr. Jason Humphrey from Houston, Texas. Uh, you had a great, well-worded question along these lines about people and processes. I'd love to hear your question on that. Absolutely. What's up, everybody? Glad to be here. Um, loving Houston, Texas. We haven't been here long, but one of the things we're noticing is that We've been full-time staff pastors for about four years now, and it seems the common thread is the pace at which ministry happens, right? And there's always a fast pace at which ministry runs. There's always a lot of things to do. 
and in the desire to get things done well and to, to move church forward, as we would say here in the, in the family of leading second, it's very easy to become a little bit more process over people oriented. It's easy to focus on the things that have to get done and lose sight of the fact that we're called to minister to people. And um, I guess my, my biggest question is, do you have any advice on keeping a culture that values people over process without letting process and excellence and those things that we strive for fall too far below an acceptable standard? I love that. How do we be people over process without letting excellence or the expectations of our pastors falter? I love that. Um, one of our panel, do you have thoughts on that tonight? We try to pay close attention to this as much as we can. And so for us, some of it has to do with what we celebrate. And so we obviously were tracking all kinds of metrics, all kinds of numbers. Um, and we look at those every week. But we also every week are looking for stories of what God is doing in our church and people's lives. And so we take time in every staff meeting to share stories before we get into the weeds on all the things we talk about what, what is what is in our people and we take time to you know go through the prayer cards pray over each one of them together talk about what are the pastoral issues and uh, those things have helped us try to keep that front and center the, the people issues well said and i i think that i hear my pastor saying a lot he, what, what I hear him saying to our team is, I need you to be a leader others want to follow. I need you to be a leader others want to follow. But that requires us to be in proximity with people. And in other words, he doesn't need me just to enforce a set of rules or, or systems and all those, you know, all those things have their place. But he needs me to be the kind of leader that others want to line up behind and and follow and run strong with. So, um, Anna, I love that thought. Um, I'd love to hear some of our other guests. Do you have any thoughts on, on Jay's question of um, leading in a way that is people over process? I really love what you just said, because I think that's key. It's like we actually have to be with people. <laughs> it starts from the top. <laughs> right. And um, I know that sounds so simple, but sometimes the first thing to go and all of a sudden we realize we're leading from our desk or from our emails instead of people. And I would say a step further with that is don't just surround yourself with the people who are your, like who are directly reporting to you because you, you also need to have a pulse on what's really happening just around the life of your church. Like hang out with people who are not believers. So you know how to evangelize and preach the gospel on a Sunday, like hang out with people who are new to church hang out like, and it doesn't mean that they're, you're going to have them dinner every night, but find those spaces, you know, be present in the lobby, connect with people, go to coffee afterwards, be accessible. And if you lead the way that way, you, you're modeling it to the rest of your team, you're creating a culture and then you just personally have a pulse. So you know now how to correct things that you wouldn't know to correct because you had so many blind spots because you were only focused on like that core who gets it all done for you, if that makes sense. So we kind of need to have those pockets where we're really relatable and accessible and learning from the people around us. Jay, I want to go back to you on your own question here for a second, because um, you're one of the the new campus pastors at a very fast growing church and a lot happening in your world right now. Um, you said something to me the other day, though, on a phone call, just about how you were even using some simple tools to stay in touch with your team. Would you mind just like being uber practical and, and sharing some of that with us? 
Absolutely. So, you know, the normal communication methods that we would use text, phone, email, one of the tools that our teams use quite heavily is GroupMe. But the challenge is, you know, it's a thousand messages every single day, depending on what level of leadership you're leading at. One interesting thing that I got exposed to when we came to Houston that I had never seen before was Marco Polo. And I thought, fantastic. What an, another social media, another communication right. I have to manage. But what's been very, very interesting as I adopted it and really just leaned into, you know, so we got, we came to Houston and, and took over a campus so that a campus pastor could go launch another campus. So I came in day one, uh, week one, basically having about 2,000, 2,500 people to, to oversee. And the pace at which we're running, I didn't afford me a lot of time to forge relationships. What I found the first few weeks very quickly with a tool like Marco Polo, which allows you to see face-to-face people uh, and leave messages, but on your own schedule. As I leaned very, very heavily into it, probably an hour a day having different conversations with people and whatnot, I found that one, just the intentionality of them seeing my face meant a lot more than seeing a text message or an email. And it, it created a sense of actually spending time with me without actually taking time off of my calendar. So I've got a, a magnetic mount in the car. A lot of times I would do them while I was driving down the street, um, sitting in, in the waiting room at a doctor's office, whatever the case may be, allowed me to get face-to-face time with my team without actually having to call a meeting, waste another day or night of their calendar or my calendar. But still in two and a half months, we've forged what I feel like is probably six to eight months worth of relationships through some creative thinking like that. Well, I just thought that was really brilliant and of course, you'll never replace going out to dinner with someone or you'll never replace, you know, sitting down and having that conversation with them face to face. But there are tools that we can use and we can leverage. I just love the idea of of combining the two. And as a new leader, I love that you're seeing traction on that. Josh Mingle, you had a thought. I really do think this is a gigantic thing that we have to get right, um, that, that we got to remember that that people are our product and people and processes have this symbiotic relationship in that, you know, Nicole reminded us, well, we, we need to be with the people. Like that's why we're here. But, but a lot of us in ministry, we, we turn into tinkerers and we love to tinker the system because there's so many demands on our time that it, it becomes more efficient to try and put people into a system and a process. But I would, I would, challenge and pose this thought that if that if the process processes and people are constantly running into issues you might need to rethink your process um because it's ca- it's obviously causing some sort of issue to where you are you are running over people or you're hurting them yeah that if if those two things are constantly fighting one another i i mean processes aren't going to heaven or hell that people are <laughs> and God's not going to, when you get to heaven, he's not going to be like, man, you had the dopest system I ever saw. You know, he's, he's not going to ask you that. He's going to be like, what'd you do with the people I gave you? And so if they're, you know, if they're fighting constantly, you may need to rethink your process. I have never heard that process. It's not going to heaven or hell. That's hilarious. Josh. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, you know, one of the things we say often at leading second is is even on the podcast every week is we want to be the kind of leaders every pastor would kill to have on the team. And I'm going to go to Vincent, uh, who's a new friend to leading second. In fact, I think I'm just meeting him face to face on this call tonight. But you, Vincent, in your question, you referenced one of my favorite books. So uh, you're up. What's your question tonight? 
Yeah, thank you, Brandon. You actually recommended this book um, in a previous podcast that um, that I started reading. So I just wanted to open it up to the panel. So um, The Ideal Team Player by Patrick Lencioni, it outlines um, the best players are hungry, humble, and smart. So the first two, I feel pretty pretty good at um, being hungry, just keep somebody in, in an area where they're passionate. Um, keep them humble is to you know, just always have areas of opportunities for them. So my question is, what would you say is a practical step to, to take for teaching a player how to be what Patrick considers emotional intelligence? Um, some people might call it street smarts. How, how would you um, tackle that third step? Emotional intelligence in the life of a leader. I love it. I love it. Does anyone have any thoughts on that to open that up? Yeah, great book. Um, I think that you really have to bring someone in close to tackle that deficit. Um, If they're having a deficit in people relations and emotional intelligence, that takes a lot of coaching that you have to have a lot of trust. So I'd ask them, hey, I really want to help you in this area, but you're going to have to let me. (laughs) So um, you got to get their buy-in for that. And then I would have a lot of conversations. Okay. Notice when you said that, how you said it, did you see their reaction? Like you just have to have so many coaching conversations or did you notice how, when we, we started the conversation, how I asked them about this, um, just a lot of one-on-one conversations after permission to speak into their life is probably the greatest way that you can advance that emotional intelligence. Cause that's a tough one to teach. I think it's technically one of the hardest to teach out of the three. I mean, I, I think it's, um, I love this question because you're leaning into something, Vincent, that I think is, um, I think a lot of us are even still trying to decipher here. Um, some of our panel, any other thoughts on, on the ideal team player and, and developing the smart, the emotional intelligence side of a leader? Well, I mean, I would say that, that, that coaching never stops in that area. Number one, for any of us, um, we're always working on that. I think, um, what, what I would be looking for as a leader is, um, is just someone who can hold their own when, um, when crap hits the fan, so to speak, that they can control their emotions enough, um, that they can be a a good example, um, keep leading, um, when, when things go wrong and then, um, and, and be able to handle it with people in their face and, and when they're around people. Um, I think once they've passed that test, um, you continue to work with them as they move forward. Um, but you know, you know, getting them, getting them to that place, uh, is, is probably a more difficult thing. And I think if you, if you really, I mean, I, I, I played football and I was on a lot of teams and I would say probably the, some of the most, um, crucial moments for me, I was a very highly emotional people, uh, person who actually would fly off the handle a little bit, if I'd be honest. And I actually got coaching from other teammates. That was the thing that impacted me the most was the team around me said, Hey, you don't get to act that way. Hey, pick it up. When they, when I was down, they'd pick me back up that type of, so it came from more than just the leader. It came from the people that were beside me. If I could add to that, I, I do think that's, it's a very difficult thing to teach. Um, I think one of the things that allows somebody to have a great emotional IQ is their ability to observe. Their awareness is is a quality that 
that helps them there. So I think one of the practical things you can do when you're coaching people is get them to start observing a lot more because they're not, they're probably not self-aware sometimes, and they're not really reading the um, social cues around them, uh, or they might be misinterpreting what, you know, they can walk away and be like, oh, I did a great job leading that meeting. And everybody in the room was like, that was the worst meeting. I don't really know what he said, you know? So to me, that's a lack of self-awareness. And the way to start combating that is to teach them how to be aware. And that makes for a great leader period, you know, in, in life, their ability to read cues, their ability to understand where people are coming from and to know how to speak to an audience and rally people. That, that starts by listening and observing. So I would have a lot of coaching around that on an ongoing basis. And then I do think it's worth noting if somebody's at a real deficit here, I think we've said it in very nice ways. That's not an easy fix. That's just going to take some time. And it's going to take some ongoing coaching, like everybody said before. Um, but I don't think that one comes, if it doesn't come naturally to somebody, it doesn't mean they can't get to that place, but you have to be willing to put in the time and really have the trust to be able to say tough things in a really loving way and help them kind of cross that line and celebrate the little victories along the way. Yeah, that was really good, Nicole. And um, I think I want to give a final answer to that question uh, just from my own perspective. The farther along I've gotten into ministry, the more I realized that my being whole on the inside really mattered. In other words, um, I think I've had seasons in my leadership where I've led out of my own shame filter or my own unhealth on the inside, and I didn't even realize it. Didn't even realize I was reacting to people out of a place of brokenness on the inside. And so the, the healthier I've become on the inside, the the more cleaned up I've become on the inside, I think the the um, better I've responded to people and the healthier conversations you know I've had with people. I, even recently, I've had with some of our own team here. I've had tough conversations, and I'm I'm finding myself navigating those things better when I'm better on the inside. And so I think for all of us as leaders, our emotional IQ is going to go up. Um, when we're just whole on the inside, when we let Jesus come and heal us, I think it's. It's safe that, I mean, we just need to debunk the, any any um, stereotypes that come from getting counseling and getting help. And as, as a leader in ministry, you're going to face pressures. And it's okay to get the help and get the tools that you need because it will it will really affect your your ability to respond to others um, well um, in, in the moments that matter the most and not respond out of, out of maybe an internal sense of brokenness. So, uh, well said Vincent on that question. I'm glad you're reading that book, by the way, I want to get, get to a couple more questions tonight and then we'll wrap this up. Um, Grant cared off. I want to go your way. You are from the Nashville area. Say what's up to everybody and fire away with your question. On Saturday, I'm graduating from a secular college, uh, with my bachelor's. And then I'm moving to uh, ministry school, Highlands College. Um, so congratulations, man! Yeah, thanks. Hey, I got uh, your your graduation announcement in the mail today, and it had a baby picture on it. <laughs> it was great. Yes, it's my cowboy picture. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, that being said, I'm a pastor's son, and I've grown up in the same church my whole life, and I also haven't moved out. I saved money, so. It's a big shift, new city, new church, new school, everything like that. So I'm just wondering, like, how, what is the best way for me to start strong on this new um, season of my life? I love that question. How do you start a new season strong? Uh, hey, Brandon, it's Henry San Antonio, 
Praise Avenue Church. So Grant, man, I, I just say, um, I'm kind of starting a new season myself. Um, and I just say one of the biggest things and takeaways for me would be um, just know that every season starts with humility. It starts with, with honor. And I feel like uh, with whatever capacity you want to serve and get into um, or whatever that looks like with your schedule, um, there's going to be primarily, well, there's going to be a huge opportunity for you to go and, and do the things that God has already mapped out for your life. But just know that every season you enter into um, or exit out of, just do it with honor, do it excellent, um, and just do it humbly. Well said. Other thoughts on starting a season strong? I add something in there. I think everything Henry said is great. Um, but I think it's smart to start with a lot of listening and um, some of the things that Nicole was talking about, just really observing what's happening for a while before you jump in with like the, Hey, here's my thoughts on it and building a lot of relationships. That would be, I think two good keys for starting strong. Just go for it with people. Yeah. Well said. And I think even taking taking the question a little bit of a different way because Grant's season is, you know, maybe a new season in college, but I'm thinking of even Henry who just spoke up a second ago, started a new job in ministry or someone else maybe starting as a new youth pastor or a new campus pastor. I think one thing I would say to someone who's starting a new job is uh, be okay with not going in and making a bunch of changes on day one. Um, I, one of the first books I read in youth ministry, you'd have to weigh this out if you agree with this or not, but I even heard arguments to things like don't make changes for a year, you know, or, or maybe that's six months or maybe that's some other time period, but there's wisdom to going in and not just torching things on day one, but going in, li- listening, building relationships, gaining influence that you're going to have plenty of time to change things, but you don't have a lot of times to create first impressions and initial buy-in with people. I think I have tried to do that before. I've tried to go in and think I've got to reform everything by the first week. And um, there's a lot of wisdom when you're starting a new season. to not feeling like you have to just accomplish everything and change everything um, in the first little bit of time. Hey, Brandon, real quick, can we get, uh, again, real super practical with that? Um, Grant, as you're moving, even relocating, because we just went through this moving from Birmingham, Alabama to Houston. One of the things that I actually learned from Brandon privately that was huge and helpful for us is it harkens back to his comment about making sure you're healthy and you're good. Uh, the best thing I can encourage you is, is it's going to take time, but make sure you pay attention to yourself. Find a rhythm, find a a daily cycle, whether it's working out or sleeping. I mean, listen to your body. We moved halfway across the country, and I will tell you the first six to eight weeks just absolutely whipped me. Um, I I didn't know who I was, where I was. I wasn't sleeping well, and it really just became like a tornado and a whirlwind. And Brandon's advice was absolutely critical in just paying attention to myself, making sure I was healthy spiritually, physically. If I got tired, go to sleep. If I needed a date night with my wife, go on a date night, whatever the practicality was to bring some sense of normalcy back to life in a new world, in a new church, in a new environment. And that was extremely significant for us, kind of finding a new rhythm and a new norm in a very quick amount of time. Uh, I love it. I love it. I love the perspective, Jay, especially you guys have been been baptized by fire. 
So <laughs> a lot of wisdom there. Uh, I'm going to go for one of our final questions. I'm going to go to Colby Maxwell from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Colby, say what's up to everybody and fire away with a question. Um, so, in you know, youth ministry or really any ministry inside of a church, um, it's, it's easy for something to become kind of par- like a parachurch ministry, kind of just a ministry within, within a ministry. What does it look like to lead with your senior pastor's vision in mind or your leader's vision in mind and still maintain um, the vision of the church and the culture of the church inside something that is so easily um, isolated and so easily um, kind of be- can become its own thing, especially because, you know, sometimes the culture has to be different because it's a youth ministry, you know, like the, the you know, maybe the vision may not transfer over directly, if you will, would like to still lead that way inside of a, a separate ministry. Such a good question. I think one that youth ministry has probably been wrestling with for the last 30 years at (laughs) least. But um, I think what probably one of the ways that we try to make that happen is by getting our teenagers involved in other aspects of the church ministry beyond just youth ministry so that they're serving in other teams, you know, whether they're taking pictures or on the worship team that they have some other connection to church other than just youth ministry. And then that helps them set up for like when it's time for them to transition out of youth ministry, they're already plugged in somewhere. And it's not just like, because obviously that's the worst thing that can happen is, you know, they turn 20 and they're like, they have no connection to the church and they're just not in church after that. Um, So I, I think finding ways to just keep them connected. And I think as a youth pastor, just protecting uh, um, protecting the way. Cause it's so easy to set up an us and them thing. I've been in that when I was a teenager for sure, uh, where there was an us and them thing going on. Um, but just continuing to talk about, you know, how we val- value the house and it's not trying to compete in our church. It's pretty young and it's like a youthful expression on Sunday. So you just, we have to find ways to go alongside it as opposed to something that's radically different um, for us just because we're younger. I think an older, more established church would probably have a different kind of challenge in that um, than we do. Um, But that's for us. And I think some of the things we've been looking at have been like the Highland stuff and how they're handling those questions in their model for youth ministry uh, for us in Chicago. That was a long answer. Sorry. No, it, this is a really important topic because I, I think we actually need to come to the conclusion that we're stronger when we're in alignment, that the, the subculture is not stronger, that the, the competition between cultures is not better. And I, I think I think somewhere along the lines when, when a youth pastor or campus pastor or you know, someone over an area is trying to lead a culture that really is a subculture. I think they're trying to give expression to something, but it's not stronger. And I think that's like a conclusion that we need to to remember that we we are better together. We are stronger in and more effective in ministry when we're extending the 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 vision of the house rather than our pet project. Uh, any of other guests have have any final thoughts on on um this question on subcultures and ministry within a ministry kind of a dynamic? Um, I think one of the dangers actually lies in our own heart. Um, I, I know we can swing both ways. Um, either we're really excited that it's hidden because we can kind of do whatever we want. And then we glorify our freedom 
And as soon as somebody, um, uh, you know, our pastor or somebody comes in and gives direction, it's like, well, you're not around. So how do you even know? Um, but that's an issue of our own heart or the opposite can be true. You can feel like, oh, well, I'm not seen as much. So that means I'm not as important. And that is not necessarily true. So I think being able to manage your heart in the process is going to lead to you finding a really healthy groove and amplifying the values of your church in your youth ministry or whatever ministry, women's ministry, men's ministry, or not. So I, I'm not saying that always comes into play, but I do think that's something that we have to navigate personally, our hearts. And as somebody who's sat in youth pastor role in a lot of different roles over the years, like I totally get where your heart can go in either of those directions. So make sure that um, as much as possible, you're not staying hidden. Um, you're doing everything you can to let people know what's happening in your ministry and that you're you're being a voice for for your pastor through the ministry. Um, but to whatever degree it's operating right now, make sure that you don't grow um, an offense um, or a little bit of pride over what you've created. And that can happen pretty easily. Well said. Well said. And I think it's also important to understand that the platform you've been given is from your lead pastor. So if you have an opportunity to celebrate your lead pastor in front of your students, that helps the culture immensely. If you're talking about church, you're, you're talking about the opportunities they have to get involved in the church. We have an internship program at Storyside Church. My pastors are Pastor Micah and Angel Pelkey. And that's one of the ways that we champion them to get them involved and get them uh, get them plugged into the life and the culture of our church. I love it. Um, I want to ask one final question. Uh, this is actually coming from Grant again um, on being unoffendable. Uh, Grant, why don't you fire away on that question? Uh, well, you talk all the time about like, you want leaders and you want second chair leaders who are unoffendable. I mean, like practically, how do you become that? I mean, I read Beta, Beta Satan and stuff, but just any other suggestions on, on what to do? I, I thought to end on this question because um, uh, I think the biggest, the greatest gift we give them is just being unoffendable. And saying, bring it on. I want to hear everything you have to say because I want to be the best that I can be. Um, you guys have thoughts on that tonight? Um, gosh, I think this is like a super important question because um, this includes all of us. <laughs> Every single one of us, no matter our role or how long we've been in ministry. Or um, I think it's one of the reasons that we have been in ministry for so long, Brandon and I, um, is because we have... Uh, strive to be undefendable. Um, and I think, especially in today's culture, I think um, the thought of like being offended and and getting your way or you have a right um, is very prevalent. Um, and I, I'm not saying that, you know, you don't have a right to an opinion or, or anything like that, but I think um, uh, offense is a choice and it's a choice that glares us down um, in lots of different ways and lots of different roles. Um, whether you're a team member or whether it's from your pastor, whether it's from your spouse, <laughs> um, I think it, uh, from a church member, I mean, it can come from any different places. I remember um, our pastor did a message called Don't Drink, Don't Drink the Poison. And um, I remember clearly he had this green bottle of, of, of liquid on the table and he said, you know, you can pick up the glass and you look at the glass and it's like, there's the offense. It's right there and you can, you can pick it up, you can look at it and you, you know, we all have the opportunity to, to, to have something happen to us where we're like, man, that, that 
shouldn't have happened or, or that hurt my feelings or, you know, maybe they mistreated me or they ignored me or whatever the offense may be. And you pick it up and you look at it, but you have the option to either put it down or to drink it. And if you drink the poison, that it just starts to seed that then, you know, it could be small at first. Maybe it's just a shot glass, um, but that is going to infect your whole body versus, um, you know, I mean, some offenses are big, huge um, gallons and um, some are shot glasses, but it's it all, all boils down to it's your choice. And I think over the years, we've had to just take a step back and know that you can you can pick the fence up and you can look at it, but you've got to you've got to throw it away. You've got to put it away, versus choosing to drink it. And um, it's not it's not easy, but that's that's the you know if you're willing to 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 do that, then then you're going to be unoffendable. I think what you're also referring to as well is just the idea that it is different. There's a difference between feeling offended and living offended that we are all going to feel the emotion of offense. That's going to happen. Um, someone's going to rub us the wrong way. Our leader's going to rub us the wrong way. But there's a difference between feeling offended and living offended, which is when we truly drink it in and we allow it to become a part of us. And a lot of wisdom coming from Pastor Kevin tonight. Um, hey, I want to thank everyone um, that's joined us for this episode on this call and everyone listening. I hope this has been fun and helpful and I just feel like one of the greatest things we do is we get in a room and talk shop and talk ministry. So that's kind of been our goal tonight uh, was to do that. And I pray this has, this has helped. Maybe your question that you had in your own mind got asked tonight. And I, I pray this has helped you. I'm just going to go down the list here. I have one final question. Uh, I'm going to start with, with my friend, Josh Bingle. Um, Josh, what's the, what's the greatest gift that your leaders on your team uh, give to you. You're a lead pastor. Just quick answer. Uh, what's the greatest gift that they give to you? Oh man. Thanks for hitting me with that question. Uh, <laughs> the greatest gift. How about I say a great gift? Um, a great gift I think they give to me um, is, is making sure that they themselves, we've talked about it a lot, are healthy, that they have healthy Christian rhythms and disciplines, time in the presence of God, um, there are so many things that cause tension on teams that I really believe would be resolved before they ever happened. If we just spent time on our face in the presence of the lover of our soul. And so they give me a great gift. Um, they give their teams great gifts by being in that space, by being addicted to the secret place. And, um, you can tell they walk into the office different and they're ready to rock. They're ready to work. And so that's a great gift that they give to me. So good. Lightning round. Uh, Nicole, why do you choose to be a second chair leader? Why do you, why do you do what you do? I think it's the way of the kingdom. I think we're always in a second chair, regardless of what our title is. And I think the way of the kingdom is what changes the world. I love it. I love it. Kingdom culture. Anna, same question for you. Why are you a second chair leader? Why do you, why do you do this? Man, I, I think most of it probably has to do with I'm 18 years into, uh, 19 years, I guess, actually into working with my pastor and it's my house. It's my home. It's where I'm, it's where I'm building. So I got too much invested to do anything else. That's how I feel. Why, at this point, it's like, why, why go anywhere else? 
What what Chris Kane said one time better better the dysfunction I know than the dysfunction I don't know somewhere else. You know, like this is my house, this is my home. <laughs> uh, so so well said, uh, Keith. Why do you lead from the second chair? What's what's the thing you love about leading from the second chair? Uh, man, team. I just I love being a part of a team. I love doing life with people and leading with people, and honestly, not having all the answers and answers being in everyone around me. Um, I think it's just a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be, and uh, it's just a privilege to be a part of it. Girly, you're up. Same question. Lightning round. Why are you a second chair leader? I am so determined to change this world. And I am just believe with everything in me that I can do that best by serving something bigger than myself. And I'm in it to win it. And this is the way to do it. I love it. I love it. Okay, John, last answer, best answer. (laughs) Why do you leave from the second chair? So I guess me, it's pretty personal. I growing up as a pastor's kid, I saw the other side of that journey of um, watching my parents lead without people behind them and seeing that kind of uh, just the damage that that can cause when the second chair leaders, the people that are supposed to be 100% behind the leader um, are not there and, you know, are smack talking or dishonoring or whatever. And so I just feel like the opportunity to... um, to, to do some damage back the other way, uh, to do good damage. Um, I love how you phrase it, you know, to give the devil a black eye. Um, and I just, I just think for every uh, bad word that was spoken, I'm going to speak a better word. And for every, you know, for every moment that they weren't, my parents weren't honored or, you know, a leader is not honored. I just want to set a culture where no, that's actually not how we do things. Um, and I just want to build something, uh, alongside other people that are just as passionate about it as I am. So I love it. I love it. Well, thanks everyone for joining us uh, for this episode. And thanks for everyone for joining us for season one. Uh, we have loved doing this. We've loved bringing some great conversations to you over the past a few months. Uh, and so we are signing off from season one and we'll be back with season two of the Leading Second podcast uh, at the end of January. Uh, 2019. So I guess until then, we'll say a big Merry Christmas to everyone, a big Happy New Year. And I pray that as you as you end this year, as you finish strong and you start well into 2019, I'm just praying you'll run strong for the kingdom, for your pastor, and that together we really will see the church move forward. So we love you guys. Until next time, let's run strong for the kingdom and lead in an uncommon way together. Oh.